Hey, y'all. I also am excited to be here with you guys tonight. I think this thing that y'all have been doing this summer, it's so cool. Uh, this, the, you know, what do you call it, core? I just have heard nothing but amazing things about this. Um, Josh Rawls last week, I think you guys have had Mimi Gormley. Uh, You've had Brandon O'Brien. I don't know who else has come. But I just think it's incredible because summer is usually our time to kick back, go on vacation, go to the lake, chill out. And I think it is awesome that you guys are taking time every week to walk, to deepen your walks with God. And I just know that God is blessing this. And so uh, can we all say that we are happy to be in this amazing air-conditioned room tonight and not sweating it up outside, right? I feel like I've been walking around in other people's sweat. I don't know about you, how it feels outside for you. But turn to the person on your right and say, you're smelling good for tonight. <laughs> uh, and before we go any further, I have got to give it up for the pastor in the room, Amir. Yeah, let's give it up for him. Uh, In case you missed it this past weekend, uh, was kind of his debut to weekend services. He spoke his first message at the weekend uh, experience here at NLC and did a fabulous job. Let's give it up for him. If y'all haven't heard the word that he and Hunter Bazette brought, it was powerful, it was encouraging, it was uh, challenging for me. I loved hearing how Amir came to God for the first time and even now how he's believing for his parents. And so if you guys have not had a chance to listen to that, I just encourage you, go online. I'm sure they have it posted already, who knows, you know? Um, But I've got to tell you about the two loves of my life before we get jump into this, and that is my husband, Brandon Shatswell, who uh, Amir just told you about. If you haven't met him yet, he is the dark, curly-haired man who is, like, going for it on the weekends, on the keyboard, singing his heart out, making some music to the Lord. He is awesome. Uh, He's an amazing man. He has an amazing heart, and um, I'm just so blessed that we do marriage and ministry and life together. And God blessed us a year and one month ago to this day with our very first baby girl, Israel. Israel Juliana is her name, and I just want to tell you guys, she is a total joy in our life. She's so much fun. She's in this awesome phase right now where she gets really excited and tries to tell you stories, and she talks to you, and she has full facial expressions and hand gestures, but you're not going to understand a single word that she says, Uh, but it's awesome, and she's also walking now for the very first time. She uh, started taking off about two weeks ago. She's really fast. The diapers we have to put her in now are called cruisers, very appropriate for her, and uh, we play one main game at home all the time. It's follow the leader, and I am the follower. She is definitely the leader in our house, but she's awesome. If you guys haven't met her, I really hope you can meet her sometime soon. Uh, But as I jump into what I'm going to talk about tonight, like Amir said, um, it's definitely something that God has changed my life with. The more that I have been around Pastor Rick and Michelle and learned this value from them, and the more that I've seen how it works in our church, it has really transformed my life personally and is continuing to change me. So I'm hoping to convey some of this tonight in a way that you guys will get excited, not only to learn tonight, but maybe send you on your own journey of exploring more about what this topic is about. And the topic we're covering tonight is covenant relationships. So if you're a note taker, I know that's a big word, covenant relationships. We're going to get into it in just a minute. Uh, But I want to pray before we get started to kick us off right. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you tonight that your presence is already in this room. And uh, we just are honored to be here, Lord God. We are honored to be in this house and in your church, Lord God. We're so thankful for the pastors in our lives. We're thankful for all you are doing to change us, Lord God. And uh, we just give tonight to you every moment of it. And I pray, Lord God, that you would speak to each one of us. And we will give you all the glory. It's in your name we pray. Amen. 
Okay, uh, Deuteronomy 7. Hang on, I'm having trouble seeing this. Deuteronomy 7, 9 says, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. Okay, um, Brandon and I, just so you guys know, we were fresh out of college when new life planted. So Pastor Rick and Michelle, they felt like God had been speaking to them for a few years to plant a church. And uh, they had really been wrestling with where, and through a series of confirmations, they both felt strongly directed to come and plant a church in Arkansas. And uh, Brandon and I were graduating. This was 2001. The, the church planted in February. We were both graduating with our undergrad degrees in 2001. So you can do the math and figure out how old we are. I'm so excited to be here. Anyway, uh, but we were, we were kind of where you guys are right now. That's where we were when New Life Church planted. And we had the... Uh, privilege and the blessing of knowing a few people who knew who they were and they were hosting them and they invited us to come over and hear their vision. And so I remember uh, walking into this house and hanging out with a small group, kind of like this field tonight and listening to Pastor Rick and Michelle share their vision and their heart. And it was really simple. We are going to come plant a church in Arkansas. We know God has called us here and we're simply going to love God, love people and love life. And I don't know if you've been around New Life very long, but if you have or haven't, you'll hear that phrase around here. We love God and we love people. And I remember thinking, you know, it's easy to say. It's really simple. Um, it can seem like a catchy slogan. But when I listened to them and the more I was around them, the more I realized that, that they were the real deal. That's what having church was all about. That's what having a relationship with God was all about. That's what being, gathering with other Christians was all about, was simply loving God and loving other people. And so uh, I was so excited. I was looking for a church home at that point, and I had not found anything that really connected with me. So when I heard Pastor Rick's vision, I just knew that Brandon and I would go to New Life Church. That would be our, our church home. And Brandon came along a little bit into it. And we just got busy serving, kind of like where every one of you guys are. You know, we love the church so much. Uh, when we would walk in the door, I don't know what it's been like for you at New Life so far, but when we walked into the door, I had never experienced a church environment like that in my life. People were open, they were caring, they were friendly, but they were authentic at the same time. They didn't put on a facade, they didn't act like they had it all together, and they simply loved us and brought us in and wanted to connect us and help us find our place in the church, and uh, and it was life-changing for us, and so we wanted to do whatever we could to help the church, and in the early days, it needed a lot of help in a lot of different areas, um, and sometimes they'd call me and say, can you come clean out a storage closet? I was like, I'm there. Can you come run this part of an event? Can you come send out emails for us? And so we did whatever was needed, and uh, Brandon and I slowly got involved with worship, and um, and then I remember we didn't ever expect to be on staff. We just loved being a part of this church. And then uh, Pastor Rick and Michelle, we got closer with them. The more we did worship, I remember finding ourselves uh, sitting in front of Pastor Rick and Michelle one day, and they started talking to us about coming on staff. And, uh, you know, I knew Brandon was going to be an amazing worship pastor. I don't know if you guys have heard him yet, but, I mean, I feel like I can be honest, but brag about my husband at the same time. Dude is gifted, you know? And he had been doing worship for years and was great at it and loved people and uh, loved God. And so I was like, this is going to be great for Brandon. Pastor Rick and Michelle are awesome. This church is an amazing place. But I was a little hesitant, if I'm going to be honest. And I pulled Brandon aside after our first conversation with him. I said, I don't know if we should do that. And he was like, what do you mean? And I said, um, I know the women at that church. You know, I know Michelle, and I know Marcy, and I know some other of the ladies, and they are really nice. 
They are nice when you're at church. When you hang out with them outside of church, they're nice. And Brandon, I'm not that nice. And I, I think if we take this job, I might get us fired. And he was like, it's okay. Just don't talk to anybody. And I, you know, that's, that was our solution. And so, you know, that worked for a little bit. But I remember going, God, are, you know, are you sure you're picking the right people for this job? But the more that Pastor Rick and Michelle talked to us, Pastor Rick kept going back to this word, and it was the word covenant. And I had never heard anyone talk about it before. It was a word I had occasionally heard in Bible verses or, you know, maybe in a sermon, but I didn't really understand it. But it was one of those things, you know, you're not going to really ask, hey, hey, what's that word mean? And so I just kind of breezed past it, and I'd heard it in Uh, People would use it sometimes talking about marriage, and so I thought it had something to do with marriage, but I didn't really get the word. Um, But Pastor Rick said things to us like this. He said, I want, Brandon and Rebecca, I want you guys to know that Michelle and I, we're in covenant with you. And I was like, okay, that sounds serious and good at the same time. I'm not sure what that means. And he said, and I'm just telling you, Brandon, if anything were to ever happen to you, we would take care of Rebecca for the rest of her life. And and I was thinking, okay, now it's sounding a little more serious, you know, kind of sounds a little bit like the mob, but I know it's not the mob, I'm cool. And, uh, and he said, and, and I'm telling you, it will never be okay with us, never one time will it be okay with us for somebody to say something negative about you to us. I'm just telling you, if it ever happens, we will shut it down, we have your back, we will be there for you. And I'm asking that you do the same for us. And he was like, because we're in covenant, and he kept using that word, because we're in covenant. And I just remember thinking that Pastor Rick was demonstrating a level of commitment in a relationship with us that I had never seen before. And I'd been in church my whole life, and I had been around ministry, and I'd seen it done a lot of different ways. But I remember the way he talked about that relationship, the relationship he was having with us, it was, it was serious to him. Hang on, my notes closed down. I'm going to open them back up. Um, And so I remember thinking, I've got to understand what this word means. And so I began digging into Scripture and to try to figure out what is the Bible saying when it talks about covenant so that I could understand what Pastor Rick is saying when he talks about covenant. Like, why is that how he does relationships? Why is he thinking about covenant when he does relationships? And so for those of you who are taking notes and you want a definition, we're going to start off with the definition. Covenant is... The highest, most sacred form of agreement between two individuals. The highest, most sacred form of agreement between two individuals. I'm actually going to switch to my paper notes. This, yeah. Okay, it's a, it was an agreement that this is, just so I can explain the concept to you guys. Back in like Old Testament times in the ancient world, covenant was a way two different tribes or two different nations would come into friendship or in relationship with each other. Today in the, our government, the way we understand things, we might call it an alliance. So that might be an easier way for you to think of it. But a covenant was an agreement that would be made between parties and it followed a certain ritual. There was a certain ceremony that went along if you were getting into covenant with somebody. And it could be two individuals entering a covenant. It could be two tribal leaders or two leaders of nations entering a covenant, but it would follow a ritual. It would be sealed in blood and it would be considered unbreakable. And covenants were practiced by many nations, not just God's people. This isn't just a biblical idea as a means of establishing friendship between different tribes or parties or groups of people, and it would guarantee permanent protection, provision, and devotion, okay? So if I entered a covenant with you, I was basically saying, for the rest of my life, 
I will come to your aid. I will protect you. I'll provide for you if you need something. I will devote myself to you, okay? It was a pretty serious thing. Blood was involved, you know, it was this whole ritual that went down. And, uh, and so it was kind of unlike any level of agreement or promise we would think of today. And that's why it was called the highest, most sacred form of agreement. But before we go any further, I'm actually gonna show you there are like seven basic steps to the covenant ritual. And I'm gonna go through some of those with you guys. But before we go through them, I actually need a couple of volunteers. You know, we're not gonna do anything extremely weird, but a little bit of charades up here, if I'm being honest. Yeah, you wanna go for it? No, not now. <laughs> yes. Y'all give these people a hand. I love this. Okay, what's your name? Shelly. Shelly and Roy. Shelly and Roy. Thank you all for coming up here. Okay, they are actually going to, in charade-like style, walk through the first four steps of the covenant ritual because the visual, honestly, is really helpful. It's a little more helpful uh, than if I were to just to talk through it with you. So I want you guys to pretend like this is like your dividing line, and you're going to stand facing each other, a little space in between. Okay, for the first step, for those of you taking notes, it's going to sound a little strange, but remember it's charades, okay? We're not literal right now. The first step is they would exchange their clothing, okay? Okay, <laughs> sorry guys, that is step number one, but let me tell you what it meant, okay? It wasn't everything, but the first thing they would take off is their robe. Everybody, all these uh, tribal leaders back in the day, they would wear these robes or these cloaks on the outside that meant who they were. It was their identity, their authority, their wealth, their status. You could tell that by this outer robe that they would wear. Oh, I forgot a really important part. We got to establish your names first. So you have a tribe that you're in charge of. How progressive of us. We have a woman up here. Way to go. And you have a tribe that you're in charge of. Both of you are going to be chiefs. So you can pick your name. It can be Chief Shelley if you want or something else. <laughs> I'll just go with that because I can't think of anything. Chief Shelley. Okay, let's give it up for Chief Shelley. The woman tribe over here. And? Chief Senpai. Chief what? Senpai. Chief Senpai. Let's give it up for Chief Senpai. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so the first thing you're going to do is you're, you pretend you have a robe or a coat, a long jacket on. You're going to hold on to your jacket, and your first step in this covenant ritual is you're going to take off your jacket, your coat, and you're going to hand it to the other person, and you're going to put it on. Okay, here you go. Go for it. Yes, way to go. Some real skill, yeah. Okay, and what this meant was... Anytime two people entered a covenant, when they did this part of the covenant, it meant every part of my identity, my authority, my wealth, my possessions, I am now handing this over to you. It is going to be at your disposal. Does that make sense? The next thing they would take off is their belt, okay? So you guys can start working on that. And we're not talking little dinky belts like we wear today to hold our pants up right. We're more like WWF style belts. These are really big pieces of clothing. And the reason they were so big is they would hold together all their pieces of armor and it would be the thing they would carry their weapons in. So that's the next thing y'all are gonna trade off. There you go. Oh. Go girl, yes. Okay, and this represented the person, the leader's strength. The belt would represent their strength. It was the part of their outer wear that would hold all their pieces of armor together. In other words, what it meant was, if somebody after this covenant ceremony ever comes and attacks you, I am coming to your defense. 
That's what the exchange of belts meant. It meant you have my strength. I promise I will show up on your behalf, okay? And the third thing that they are going to exchange is their weapons. You guys can, yes, we have a sword over here. And what else do we have? <laughs> he might have lost his arm in that exchange. And what, and what do you have? You have a sword as well? Two swords. Okay, yeah. And the weapons represented the fighting ability of this leader in their tribe. In other words, it wasn't just if somebody comes and attacks you, I'm going to come to your defense. But it also meant offense. It meant I will come after the person who attacks you until they are no more. Okay? The second thing that these uh, two people entering a covenant would do, the next step is they would cut a sacrifice. So here you guys have brought animals with you, and you're going to cut them, literally. They're already dead, yep. So it's a a little more compassionate. Yeah, you're going to cut them from top to bottom in half, okay? And then you're going to lay the two halves opposite each other with a space between them. So like one here, one here. You got it? I think I'm the animal. (laughs) I might be the sacrifice. Go, guys. Okay, and this represented the death of self. The two halves of the animal would represent the two different parties both agreeing to die to themselves and their independence from this point forward, okay? The third step is they would speak promises or vows. In other words, they would say, here is what I'm going to promise to do for you. This is very much like the exchange of vows in a a wedding ceremony. Uh, You know, I promise to have and to hold, to love and to cherish, in sickness and in health, in poverty and wealth. That idea, you would basically say at this point, here is what I'm promising to do for you because of this covenant. You got it? If anybody tries to kill your goats, like, I got you. (laughs) I promise to cook on Saturdays. That matters. That matters. Especially to a woman. Um, Okay. The fourth thing they would do is they would take an oath in blood. And let me tell you how this would work. The two different people, they would hold up their wrists and they would slash their wrists and then they would join hands, the hands that they, the wrists that they had just slashed, they would join hands, and then they would walk through the pieces of the animal in a figure eight, it's getting complicated, in a figure eight pattern, pointing to the animal and saying, this can be done to me if I break this covenant. Okay? So you slash your wrist first, then you join those hands, then you walk in a figure eight through the pieces, Go, y'all. This can be done to me. You say me. (laughs) Okay, can we give them a hand? Y'all, great job. Chief Senpai, Chief Shelley, awesome. Okay, and this just signified, this little walk they would do, it signified the permanence of this agreement. It signified the penalty of this agreement. You can see how important these covenants were, how these were such a big deal. 
Um, back in the Old Testament, in Genesis, God established a covenant with Abraham. I don't know if you guys have heard that name before, but God established a covenant with him because he had simply said, Abraham, hey, I have a place I want you to go. Will you go there? And Abraham said, you got it, God. And he packed up his whole family and started following the voice of God. He didn't know where he was going, but he knew to obey the voice of God inside of him. And because of that obedience, God said, Abraham, I want to enter a covenant with you. And it's amazing because this was such a normal practice back in the day. Abraham knew everything to do to get ready for the covenant ceremony. God told him what animals to get. He went and got the animals and he split them in half and he separated the pieces and he sat around waiting for the next step for God to tell him when they were going to do the walk through the pieces. And God spoke to Abraham and he started giving him promises. He basically said, Abraham, I am with you and I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make your name great and I'm going to give give you tons of descendants. You won't even be able to count them. There's going to be so many of them. And I'm not only going to be your God, but I will be their God. And I'm going to cause your descendants to bring blessing to the whole earth. God was making promise after promise after promise to Abraham. Who wants to hear something like that from God? Yes. It was, it was an amazing moment for Abraham. So Abraham's sitting here. He, you know, he's in this awestruck moment with God. God keeps telling him what he's going to do for him. And Abraham's waiting for that moment that they're going to walk through the pieces together. And the Bible says in Genesis that God put Abraham to sleep at that moment and that the Holy Spirit walked through the pieces by himself. And then God woke Abraham up and finished talking to him about the covenant. And it was as if God was saying to Abraham, I am entering this covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with their descendants after them. But if I break this covenant, God was saying, then my life can be taken. Or Abraham, if you break this covenant, or if your descendants break this covenant, then I'll also allow my life to be taken as penalty for this covenant. That's how serious it is to me. Isn't that awesome? It is one reason that the death of Jesus is so powerful in our lives because Jesus was fulfilling that covenant, that promise that God made to Abraham. Jesus was God in the flesh saying, my life can be taken because these people who I long to have relationship with, they've broken this covenant and I wanna make a new way for them to have a relationship with me. So cool. Okay, the fifth part of the covenant ceremony is a personal scar and a public sign. So after they would walk through the pieces in this figure eight thing saying, this can be done to me if I break this covenant, they would then sear the place that they had just cut open. So, you know, there's a little bit of pain involved with creating a covenant, just so you know. They would take a branding iron and stick it to the place that they had slashed their wrist so that it would be sure to scar over in a visible way. So that person would always have an immediate visible reminder that they had entered into a covenant so they wouldn't ever forget the covenant that they had made. And then there would always be a sign, like usually it would be a memorial that would happen at the place the covenant was cut. And people would often plant a tree and they'd put the blood of the covenant on the tree. And anytime anyone passed by, they would look at it and go, a covenant must have happened there. Or they would build an altar, they'd put the blood on the altar, and people would also know that a covenant had taken place there. And then number six, there would be a name change. Because if you, if you haven't kind of put it together by now, Two people would come together to create a covenant, and from that point forward, they would be considered one. They would not be considered two. This is why the wedding ceremony that we go through is a covenant ceremony. It's, it's a ceremony that represents two becoming one. 
And the last part of the wedding ceremony, may I now pronounce to you Mr. and Mrs., you know, whatever their name is, right? There's a name change that takes place in a wedding ceremony. This would happen in Old Testament covenants. And because we were dealing with leaders of tribes and nations, and we usually were dealing with men, men would not lose their name to take on the name of the other person the way a girl will lose her last name in a wedding ceremony. So the way they would do it is the tribal leader that's entering a covenant with another leader would want their name to always be referred to in association with the other name. So I'll tell you how it would work out. So we had Chief Shelley and Chief Senpai, am I right? So Chief Senpai would want his name forever to be known from that point forward as Chief Senpai, the friend of Chief Shelley. So anytime you would announce his name in any sort of public format, you would say Chief Senpai, the friend of Chief Shelley, and it would tell everyone who that chief was in covenant with. In the same way, the other person, Chief Shelley, would want her name to be known as Chief Shelley, the friend of Chief Senpai. Make sense? And this is why in Scripture, when God refers to Abraham as Abraham, the friend of God, it's a big deal because God is saying, that's not just any type of person right there. No, that's my boy. That's the guy I am in covenant with. You don't get one of us without getting the other. This is why it's so powerful in the Old Testament when God is referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The reason you hear that name over and over again is God is reminding people, I entered into covenant with this guy, and I keep my covenants. I will remember the things that I've promised him. Okay, and the last thing that happens at the covenant ceremony is the covenant meal. Because if you are going to celebrate a new relationship, what's the one way we all know, the one thing we all know we're going to do when we get together? There's going to be some food. Can I hear an amen in the house? Praise the Lord. I wish I could say, and we have donuts for everyone, but sorry, I didn't get that together. Uh, Yeah, the way they would finalize this covenant ceremony is they would eat. They would get together. Two tribes, it was a party from that point forward. There was going to be bread. There was going to be wine. Can I hear an amen? It was the Old Testament. Thank you, Lord. Anyway, there was going to be a party because what do you do when you've been two separate people and now you're one person? You have a new relationship. So what do we do in relationships? We hang out. We have life together. We share food together. We do life together. Does that make sense? So that's how they would end the covenant. the uh, the covenant ceremony. And I'm going to share just really quickly how what Jesus accomplished for us, how it went through all these covenant elements. And then I'm going to give you guys some very practical ways you can have covenant relationships in your own life. Okay. Uh, How many of you know the last supper, or at least you've heard it mentioned, maybe you saw the piece of artwork where there's the dudes reclining at the long table, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, so for just to catch everybody up and put us all on the same page, if you want to go and read about it, it's in John 13, 14, 15, 16, I can't remember if it's 17 or not, okay? But this is the last moment Jesus has with his disciples, that's why it's called the last supper, the last moment before he's going to go to the cross. So he knows he's got one meal with them, right? He knows he's got one moment. They don't realize how soon this is happening. They don't know that Jesus is about to go to the cross. They're kind of putting things together. They don't realize how soon it is. It's like literally hours from the Last Supper. But Jesus has one meal to hang out with them around a table and tell them the things that are the most important in his heart for them before he goes to the cross. I don't know if you've ever uh, been close to somebody who's dying. But I know in final moments, I have a few times, in final moments, you're thinking, I don't want to have any regrets, right? 
I want to make sure the things that are most important to me are the things that I'm communicating to the people that I love. Or if you're the loved one, you want to make sure you're having time with them, that you can share things that you wanted to tell them in these final moments. So we know when we read what Jesus was talking to his disciples about at the Last Supper, these are important things, okay? They're like, if he could synthesize everything down, this is what he's trying to say to them. And it is at the Last Supper that in the middle of them eating and hanging out, Jesus all of a sudden stops everything. He says, hold it, everyone. And he holds up bread in the air and he breaks it apart. And he says, this is my flesh, which is broken for you. Okay. And then he holds up the wine and he pours it out into a cup. And he says, and this is the blood of my new covenant, which is poured out for you. And all of a sudden they're like, he just said covenant. Is he is he talking about a covenant ritual? Is Jesus really saying he's entering a covenant with us? And that's what he was saying. At the Last Supper, as Jesus is talking to them, what he's trying to help them understand is Jesus is about to go fulfill God's requirement for that old covenant. And when he does it, he is opening the door to have a new covenant relationship with everyone that's sitting around the table and then everyone who will eventually believe because of them. And so... uh, What I think is so cool is all the elements of the covenant ritual. The first one, exchanging clothing. This happens at Jesus' crucifixion. You know, the Bible says, he who knew no sin was made to be sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. Jesus, in almost a literal sense, took off what he wore and put on what we wear. Does that make sense? The sinless one, the Bible says he became sin. He did not sin, but he took on our sin. In fact, they put a robe on him, and they mocked him with that robe. If you remember, the Bible calls it a crimson robe, and it was literally a symbol of our sin nature. And then do you remember they put a crown on his head, a crown of thorns, and they beat it into his head? Those thorns were a symbol of the curse that we were under because of the sin in our own lives. And then they put a scepter in his hand, a fake scepter, and that was a symbol of the power of death that was reigning over our lives. And Jesus literally wore the things that represented our sin, our curse, and our death, and he took them to the cross. Thank you, God. And then he put on us the things that he wears. He took our sinful nature, and he gave us his sinless nature, his righteousness. He took our curse, and he blessed us instead with life. He took that which we could not break free from, and he sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts to give us a new nature and a new life. Isn't that awesome? And then the next step, the cut, the cutting of the sacrifice. It's very easy to see how Jesus himself was the sacrifice of the covenant. Does that make sense? And not only did he receive, obviously, some cutting in his flesh as the sacrifice, but when he gave up his spirit on the cross, the Bible says that a few miles away in the temple, there was this huge veil. It was like a massive curtain that kept people out of the presence of God. And that thing ripped from the very top to the very bottom in half. And the Bible says that was a symbol of the body of Christ being torn in half for us so that we could enter the direct presence of God. Isn't that awesome? Okay, and then the third thing that happened is the spoken promises. When Jesus was hanging out with his disciples around the table in that last supper, he spoke promise after promise to them. He said, I am with you always. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And I'm sending you my spirit and he is gonna help you. He's gonna pick up where I left off and he will be with you forever. You will go on to do greater things than I have done because you have placed faith in me. Jesus speaks promise after promise to them. 
them. Isn't that awesome? And then uh, the oath in blood. It's very easy to see how Jesus fulfilled this one. Um, how Jesus was the one who had that ceremonial walk to the cross, right? How he was the one saying, I am allowing my life to be taken as a penalty for this covenant being broken. And then the personal scar and the public sign. You know, this is something I love because the Bible says that after Jesus gave his life, he was in the ground for three days and then God resurrected him. And then he came and hung out with his friends and they were freaked out, you know, because they were in a room, the door was locked, nobody opened the door and dude shows up. Okay, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. I hope not. But it did happen to them, and they're looking around like, who is this? No one opened the door. It's locked. We're freaked out, right? And then Jesus does what? Do you remember what he does to show them who he is? He shows them his hands, and he shows them his side, and all of a sudden they see the scars, and they go, it's you, Jesus, because he literally carries in his body the physical scars of the covenant that he's established with us. And then the memorial, the sign that a covenant has taken place. I think this is so amazing of God to, you know, God is like the master storyteller. He planned all these little details years and years before it ever took place. People were practicing making covenants and planting trees and putting blood on them years and years and years before Jesus ever came. And that cross that now is a symbol for all of eternity. Some of you are wearing it in chains around your neck right now. That is the memorial that God has placed for all of humanity to look upon and to know that in that moment, at that place, heaven came to earth and God established a covenant with us and said, come on into my presence. The penalty has been paid with the blood of my son Jesus and your lives are never gonna be the same. Okay, and then number six, the name change. I love this part of it, right? You know, because we already see in the Old Testament, God said, Abraham, the friend of God. Jesus said something even better. Jesus is talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, and he says, you know, no longer do I call you slaves because a slave doesn't know what I'm doing. I'm calling you friends because I'm showing you everything that I plan to do. That's what he said right before he went to the cross. So there we see they were elevated in their relationship with Jesus right before he sacrificed his life. But the first thing he says to them after he comes up out of the grave and he's hanging out, I think Mary's the first person that sees him and he says to her, Go to my brothers and tell them that I send to my God, to their God, to my Father, and to their Father. And so I don't know if you've ever wondered, why do we get the privilege of being called children of God today? It is because when Jesus gave his life, he opened the door so that we couldn't just be friends of God. That would be a blessing in and of itself. But he said, come on in. You are now my family. The way I think of you is totally different. You are my son and you are my daughter, you have access to everything that I have, come and have a brand new relationship with me. Does that make sense? So when he gave them his name, Jesus was talking to his disciples at the Last Supper, and he said, you know, I haven't told you this yet, and you haven't ever done this yet, but from this point forward, I want you to know you have the right and the power to ask for anything in my name from this point forward, and I will do it for you. If you're in need, if you're in trouble, if you're ministering and somebody needs a miracle, you call on my name. I am giving you my name. My name now covers you because you are part of my family. So you call on my name and I'm going to show up. Does that make sense? 
Uh, And then the last thing, the covenant meal. I love this because not only did Jesus announce all of this to them while he's hanging out with them around the table, the first thing he does when he gets back together with them is says, what? It's time to eat, everybody. Tells the guys to go fishing, bring in all the fish. He cooks it for them. They're hanging out because Jesus is trying to say, this is how we do life. I don't want you to think the only way you can come to me is if you come in a temple and you wash your hands a certain way and you talk a certain way and you act holy, then you can come and talk to me. No, I want you to realize the relationship I want with you is the same one you have with your friends when you sit around a table and you hang out and you eat food and you share your life together. Isn't that awesome? But here's what was so cool to me. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to synthesize this really fast. Because of what Jesus accomplished, when God poured out his Holy Spirit and the, the early church was birthed, in other words, the first day people heard about the gospel, there were 3,000 souls that believed in Jesus. The Bible says those people did not like, act like any people that anyone had ever seen. They were, it says that the, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. God had put a new spirit inside of them. And all of a sudden, things that had mattered, were you a man or a woman? That didn't matter anymore. Were you a slave or were you a free person? That didn't matter anymore. Were you old or young? Were you rich or you poor? The Holy Spirit came and he erased all the barriers. And he brought people in from every nation and every tribe, every walk of life and every status. And he said, now you're in my house. Now you're my family. My spirit is living inside of you. And I want you to do relationships with each other differently. I want you to be family. I want you to be devoted to each other because you are now in covenant. This isn't just a hangout place. I don't know if you've walked in churches before and thought, you know, that's just a thing you do. Being a believer, being a follower of Jesus has opened the door for you to be part of a family. And relationships in family look very different than any other type of relationship. There's a level of protection there. There's a level of provision, right? You know, if you run out of money, who you calling? Mama, daddy, right? You're calling family because it's different with family. If you, uh, if you have something going on and you get hit rock bottom, your phone call is going to be family. And that is the kind of relationship that God has established here within the church, which is awesome. So to give you a few ideas on how this can look, these are things Pastor Rick has taught us for years. In covenant relationships, we must commit to love, protect, and serve each other. It's not about how we feel. Because sometimes we don't feel like this. So number one, we commit ourselves to love and protect even when we don't agree. Now that's hard to do, isn't it? We commit ourselves to love and protect even when we don't agree. I've had the privilege of being around our church for 15 years now, and I have watched our pastors do this. You know, I've watched them have conversations with people, and it gets to a point, and you're like, well, where's it going to go now? You know what I'm talking about? Because you know, you know, one person has a thought, another person has another thought. And I have been amazed time and time again to watch how all of a sudden the issue is not what matters, but that person is the thing that matters. Does that make sense? Number two, we honor publicly. We honor publicly. Now, some people think honor is just giving it up for somebody, saying, hey, here's who this person is, and here's what they've done. But sometimes a very simple way we can honor people in our lives is just by supporting them, letting them know, I am with you. I am for you. That is honor. And Pastor Rick has a saying, public loyalty equals private leverage. 
PLPL, for those of you who love alliteration. Public loyalty equals private leverage. In other words, if you show your loyalty and your honor to me in public, then when you need to really speak your mind and tell me something that may be hard to hear behind closed doors, I'm going to listen to you. You're going to have favor with me because of how you have shown honor in front of people. Does that make sense? Number three, we cover weaknesses and we emphasize strengths. We cover weaknesses and we emphasize strengths. So in other words, when somebody's weakness becomes the topic of conversation, you just redirect to their strength. That's what God does for all of us, right? The Bible says the enemy is the one who's making accusation against us. God is the one that is standing for us. He is the one saying, no, you've got it wrong. You don't know who they are. You don't know what they can do with my spirit in them, right? Okay, number four, we approach problems privately and directly. So if I'm being honest, we don't walk around pretending like we're happy and nice and we love everybody and we don't have any problems. That's not what I'm talking about when I talk about covenant relationships. There is a time and place to address issues, okay? And they, there are problems that need to be talked out. But the way in which we do it, that is when it comes to covenant. Does that make sense? Privately, we get one-on-one. In other words, I'm not going to share my issues with you to five other people before you hear about it. Make sense? I'm going to come to you. So they're not going to know I have an issue. You're going to know I have the issue, right? If it's with you. So I'm going to come to you privately, and I'm going to be direct about it. I'm going to say things with honor and with wisdom, but I'm going to be honest, okay? And number five, we redirect conversation that doesn't do so because we're in covenant. I remember uh, a couple years ago, I was in a staff meeting, and Pastor Darren DeLon, who's like one of our lead exec pastors here, he was leading the meeting, and we had just finished the addition to the Conway building, and we were going to have a service dedicating the building to to God, and uh, Pastor Darren saying, you know, just Conway people can come to this. The other campuses, they don't have to be there. And uh, in the middle of him saying that, one of our other pastors at one of our other campuses said, "Uh, I just talked to Pastor Rick, and he said he wants all the campuses to be there. And I'm like, you know, it's one of those, like, everybody's like, okay, what do we do now? You know, because here's Darren leading the meeting for Rick, you know, and one of the pastors says that Rick had a different idea. And I was thinking, how is Darren going to handle this? This is a little bit of a tight spot. It was so amazing. You would net, he did not miss a beat. He just said, man, it's going to be awesome to have all the campuses together for this service so we can pray together over Easter service. It was like, as soon as he heard that Pastor Rick had a different idea, he was on board. There was no, hey, I'll go talk to Pastor Rick and I'll let you know what we're going to do. There wasn't any of that. It was immediate support. He was, he did not have his own agenda. He was not offended. He did not care that it changed what they had been planning. It was like, I'm on board. That's what he said. And I'm on board with it. And I remember uh, in the early days, I was working on a project, a building project here. And uh, one of the people I was working with, I did not know it, but they, they had issues with me. I won't say that's the only the first time that's happened in my life, but I was not aware. Okay. And they called Pastor Rick. They didn't call me. They called Pastor Rick. And, um, and I did not know. And Pastor Rick called me. And he said, I just want you to know this person called me. And, uh, and they said they, they had a problem with this and this and this. And I'm just letting you know, I told them it was not okay. They could not go any further with that conversation. It was not okay for them to gripe to me about you that that would never be allowed. And he was like, so I'm just calling. Do you need any help with this? And I was sitting there going, what? I'm thinking the pastor of the whole church stopped everything to call me and let me know someone called him. He had my back and was going to help me if I needed it. 
Like I thought I've never encountered a pastor like this in my life. Like it was, it was so amazing to me. So I'm telling you, covenant relationships, they will matter the most to you when you're the one who needs the covenant. When you need the cover, when you need somebody to have your back or you have a need and you don't know where to, what to do with it, that's when covenant relationships are really going to matter to you guys.